This is episode number 155 with complexity scientist Francesco Correa. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you on board. And today we've got another exciting episode. I literally just got off the phone um, or actually call. Nobody uses phones for these things anymore. I literally just got off the call with Francesco Correa. And what you need to know about Francesco is he's a very driven and knowledgeable expert in the space of artificial intelligence, data science, machine learning, and even blockchain. He's worked on a broad range of projects in this space, ranging from artificial intelligence startups to portfolio construction for venture capital funds, uh, from fraud detection to data strategy, and much, much more. And uh, in this podcast, we dive straight into it from the very beginning and we talk about what it means and what it feels like to be a data scientist across many different industries, many different types of problems. And uh, Francesco makes the case for any data scientist to actually strive towards that, to look for opportunities, to broaden your application of data science to different industries and uh, different challenges. And he also explains what benefits that has and what synergies that might bring for your career. So that's a very interesting part. And then after that, we don't stop there. We dive into Francesco's recent article on the convergence of artificial intelligence and blockchain. And as we all know, those are the two major disruptive technologies changing the world right now. And uh, in his article on Medium, which we'll link to on the show notes, uh, he describes what they mean for each other, how they can boost each other and how those two technologies might end up working together. And that's exactly what we're going to discuss in this podcast. So brace yourselves for a very fun ride. This is going to be exciting and worldview changing. Can't wait to dive you into it. And without further ado, I bring to you Francesco Correa, Complexity Science. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today, I've got a exciting guest, a visionary in the space of data science, AI, and blockchain, Francesco Correa. Uh, Francesco, welcome to the show. How are you going today? Hi, Kirill. Um, thank you for having me here. All good. Thank you. What about you? I'm, I'm good as well. Thanks. So very excited to meet you on the show. And the way, for our listeners, the way I came across Francesco's work was when I was doing research for the blockchain course and I came across some articles on Medium and Francesco actually has quite a few there and one very uh, one that I found very very interesting it's uh, on the convergence of AI and blockchain what's the deal so I'm very excited to talk about that but before we jump into that uh, Francesco could you give us a quick intro to who you are and why how you got into the space of artificial intelligence and blockchain in the first place um yeah sure uh, well first of all thanks for reading the article i think that it was actually one of the articles that was 
probably one one of the most written on medium for like a week or so mm. so thank you thank you anyway for just having a look thank you for and, sharing um, <laughs> basically just about me um well let me let me let me give you like the three minutes standard pitch right so mm -hmm. how did i get into ai um quick answer by chance so I did, I did my PhD a few years ago. My PhD was in uh, traditional economics, let's put it in that way. As many times happens during a PhD, things don't, don't really work out as you expected when you started. And um, what, what happened to me is that I started doing like econometrics work. So I eventually got into data science uh, still by chance and eventually into AI uh, working on applied, well, Honestly, to, into machine learning, mm -hmm. but um, as 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 you perfectly know, machine learning and AI are not like perfectly the same thing. I mean, there are stuff that are uh, AI which is not machine learning. Uh, of course, it's not it's not true that the other way around because everything that is machine learning is also AI, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I got into machine learning a bit by chance. Um, at first, developing software for people and you know, building models, specific models for specific applications. Uh, what happened eventually is that um, I was living in London. I got involved with a venture fund there and I started working with venture capitalists and startups. So what I'm doing right now and where the conversation already becomes a bit embarrassing because I don't really have a title. Mm -hmm. I would like to call myself uh, a complexity scientist, but I'm not even sure that they capture what I really am. Mm -hmm. uh, what I do is probably better uh, a better description of, of of my own functional title, which is basically well, I, I do help companies growing. So whatever whatever that means, uh, I do it sometimes from a venture perspective, or from an advisory perspective, or simply from a consultant perspective. That it really varies depending on the guys or the companies I'm talking to, but that's the bottom line of what I do on, the, on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you help companies grow through applying technology. Is that correct? Correct, correct. Uh, usually, they are like uh, early stage companies. It's it's really really hard. They're like nowadays. That I, that I will be working with like big companies, mm -hmm. uh, especially because the, the field is progressing and like in, in a variety of different ways. And unless you're really highly specialized in a few specific techniques or uh, technologies or domain, uh, I might actually be better serving different type of people, let's put it in that way. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just do kind of Add to that point, I'll read out a couple of things that you've done recently, uh, which you've shared with us uh, information for this podcast. So Francesco has advised an AI start startup on behavioral science, machine learning and algorithms in the health sector. He's advised a capital venture fund on the portfolio construction. You've advised an AI startup on product strategy, fundraising and other things. You've developed a sentiment analysis tool for small investment managing firm. And uh, you create a fraud detection tool. So a, a very broad uh, spectrum of services. Are those all uh, artificial intelligence related? Um, or is that uh, still a mix of AI and machine learning? Uh, still a mix of AI and machine learning. Actually, mm -hmm. well, there really depends. Some of the stuff you mentioned were slightly old. So back then, 
we we wouldn't even call it like AI or machine learning, right? It was still like data science work. Yeah. Uh, as we as we, as we all know, all this term terminology actually evolved through time. Even if there was something that like five years ago was called data science, today it's called everything machine learning, right? But yeah. the reality is that some of the work was more on like pure data science work. Some of that was like machine learning, and some of them was pure AI, mm-hmm. more or less pure AI. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, some some of the stuff you mentioned, as you as you correctly mentioned, it was simply like advising companies. Uh, especially, I was working with a company back in Italy that was trying to develop a virtual agent to sell um, insurance policies, mm-hmm. which was actually a very cool, uh, interesting project. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then, I did work on fraud detection, as you correctly mentioned. I did work on sentiment analysis, um, and yeah, I would probably say that one of the best thing that I, that, that I could say about me is that I put my hands on like different projects which are not really related that made me uh, a non-expert in multiple things, mm-hmm. which honestly for a data scientist, I think it's a, it's a good like selling point to have because unless you have like... Why would you say it's a good selling point? Oh, okay. Um, why? Because actually, well... For at least a couple of reasons. The first one is that you don't really know how the, uh, well, both the field of data science and AI, as well as like the different domain expertise move. So the more uh, you can actually like use your specific knowledge on, the better it is. Because mm-hmm. you, you, never, you never actually know whether something that is paying off today, it won't pay off tomorrow in the same way. And at the same time, as a complexity scientist, I can tell you that knowing something for a field and getting that stuff and applied it to a completely different field, sometimes it works brilliant. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't even expect it in the first place, and you, you, and you couldn't even do that in the first place if you wouldn't have done it before. Mm. <laughs> that it's, a, it's a nice like um, uh, word playing just to say that sometimes I actually started with a fraud detection tool, right? For instance, yeah. when, I, when I was like working on fraud detection, uh, I didn't really know what I was working on, honestly. And this happens a lot of the time. You start something uh, without having a clear view on even how to solve it. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that it was like a great learning exercise. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't hide that I used some of that um, process and some of that techniques mm-hmm. later on in my career as an advisor just to help people developing completely different systems mm-hmm. so you never know it's a it's a it's a wide world mm-hmm. it's a complicated world so um mm-hmm. i guess that the more you know at least at the beginning the more you know about different things the better it is mm-hmm. uh, and eventually if you want to specialize in something there's time so mm-hmm. gotcha it's it's kind of like when you're transferring your skills into a, a brand new industry from somewhere else it helps you think outside the box if you're constantly like in, in fraud detection all the time, then you might not even consider applying a certain, I don't know, let's say a logistic regression algorithm. Whereas if you're moving in from, let's say, marketing and you go into fraud detection, the first thing on your mind is logistic regression because that's all you've been doing for the past five years or whatever, five months. And then that's the first thing you apply. It might give you like crazy results that are not expected by even experts in the field. Is, is that about right to sum it up? Yeah, yeah, it's completely right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so that's that's a very inspiring comment, and I, you know, like I think 
that people listening to this podcast should take that into account that being a broad, um, having a broad experience in data science across multiple industries can and will pay off because it has synergies because the things you learn in one place can be applied in another and the more you learn the it's so it's not linear it's a non-linear effect if you learn five how to apply data science in five industries you're not going to benefit 5x you're going to benefit like 25x so my question to you though would be what would your recommendation be to those of our listeners who have a full-time job who don't have the luxury of being a consultant and working with many different industries and different companies uh, who are applying data science in a specific way, a specific setting, industry and company, what would your recommendation be for them? How can they get get out of that box while still preserving their job? What, what can they do to get exposure to those additional projects and different industries? Uh, listen, that's a great question. And I think that we are living in a very lucky time where we, 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 are, we are not really missing the resources for doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Except time, which yes. is probably like the... Uh, the most important ones, but basically the the advice for 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 those type of people would be simply like experimenting with whatever you have. Mm-hmm. That means just try to go on Kaggle and play, or uh, if you are interested in something specific, try to follow your interest and start experimenting with something. Right. So build build things. Mm-hmm. Try to build as as many things as possible. Try to make things working. Try to fail as fast as possible and in and many things as possible. Uh, at the end of the day, it's simply a game where the more you do, the more you try, eventually every every single effort will will, will pay off in like five years, ten years, whatever the timeline is. Mm-hmm. And as you correctly were identifying before, it's not that it's going to simply paying off like five five X. It's it's paying off like 15, 20 X, 25 X. So uh, the the only suggestion I have is try to get as much information as you can from internet, blog posts, um, free courses, uh, Coursera, Udemy, all all this kind of platform, right? Mm-hmm. And then try to get your and your hands dirty as much as possible, trying to experimenting with data, new libraries, new platforms, mm-hmm. new software, whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, probably another interesting point. So th- I, I like that advice, and it's it's very pragmatic. It's very logical. It it makes sense. It's it's structured advice. However, the now the question, the next question would be is emotional, right? Have you personally ever encountered fear that you are good at something you've worked with? I don't know, like say fraud detection, and you've gotten good at it. Why would you, you know, like internally, like you logically understand that you, you can get value from other industries and from getting exposure to other industries, but at the same time, it's it's a big step to make to get out of your comfort zone. Have you experienced that fear? And if you have, then how did you go about overcoming it? <laughs> That's probably even a better question. <laughs> and the answer is uh, every day. Every day, but, wow. <laughs> well, not every day, but it happens like a lot, yeah, especially okay. You, well, when you when you work in data science overall or in AI, call it whatever you feel like, uh, this this sense of fear. I think that if you are like um, conscious enough for what is happening in in the world, it never actually leave you. And because you know that there are like people out there which are like rock stars in this field, mm-hmm. and everything that you're doing today seems that you're doing it like pretty good. And if if you if you actually want to change. Uh, you are you're leaving uh, a well-known road for something that 
you don't really know, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the reality for every career or everything that you want to do in life. So I don't, I don't see any specific difference in uh, data science with respect to like doing a transition career from accounting to whatever, I don't know, research mm-hmm. or anything else. So in that, in that sense, I don't really think there is any structural difference. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing is that on the other side, I don't know if you know um, a guy from Facebook called uh, Brandon Rower. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just actually find, I just emailed him like four hours ago. No kidding. Wow, okay, that's this brilliant. Is... That's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> because actually, that guy wrote a beautiful post on something that he called like the imposter syndrome or something like that. Oh, I haven't seen that Where, yet. Yeah, you should actually look for that. Yeah, I think you will see. Mm-hmm. But. Um, it did, it did write this post on why it's not a data scientist where, well, we all know that it actually is, but basically it play around the, the fact that it doesn't really know like TensorFlow or these specific libraries and packages. Um, but the reality is that, and this is like a different emotional component for data scientists and AI researcher is that there are, well, there is not like a single way to be a data scientist. Mm-hmm. And that's a different point, right? So when it comes to fear, you might have the fear that changing your career or jumping into, into a different domain or vertical might, might, might scare you off. And well, fair enough. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly hard to take that, um, that fear off of your shoulder. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, you, you still have the fear that for everything you do, you're not doing it like in the, in the right way or that you're not like a real data scientist as people that you read about are, you're not like Andrew NG, you're not like, you know, all these like big guys. You're not, you're not Kirill. So. <laughs> no. Not Francesco. Uh, but eventually the reality is that there are, there are many different ways to be a little scientist or to be a researcher. So mm-hmm. I guess that you simply need to find yours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that advice. Kind of be, don't compare. The only person you're competing with this is my favorite approach. The only person you're competing with is yourself. If you are tomorrow better than you are today, you're winning. You don't have to be comparing yourself to Andrew and G or, or anybody else. As long as you're happy and comfortable with what you're doing, that's that's the right approach. Okay. Um, next one I wanted to ask you is you've mentioned a couple of times the term complexity scientist. I've never heard it before. Is is this something that you've coined yourself, or, and what what does it mean? What do you put? What meaning do you put into that term? Uh, no, I, I didn't really invent it myself. I would like to, but I, I didn't. Uh, complexity science, uh, science and complexity systems overall uh, well, is something that people are studying for decades now, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, basically, there are, there are different ways to, to define them, but a very simple one, at least my simple one, is it's a field of study that investigates non-linear relationship uh, between phenomena and at the same time it uses things belonging to different fields to solve problems that usually are not solved with that specific technique or with that specific approach. Mm-hmm. So in some, in some sense it has many similarities and many points of contacts with AI or um, data science overall. Mm-hmm. And if you if you think about it, what complex complex science is, um, in a very basic term, is a study of a complex system, right? Mm-hmm. And 
nothing is more complex than the type of life that we have today mm-hmm. and every type of data science problem that we want to solve or every type of AI problem that we want to solve, they are frequently complex. So mm-hmm. um, that's the thing. Gotcha, gotcha. No, it makes total sense. Yeah, so uh, it's a type of science that solves nonlinear relationships between phenomena and using um, approaches that you wouldn't normally think of. That, that's a pretty cool summary and uh, yeah interesting thank you for that okay and so now i'd like to proceed to the the next uh, phase of which as i understood correct me if i'm wrong but as i understood you've entered just recently and you're starting to explore for yourself which is blockchain and my first question here would naturally be what made you get into blockchain and you know expand your knowledge of data science and artificial intelligence and expertise in those areas and now to include it, include blockchain in uh, what what your expertise is. Um, yeah, you're right. I'm actually getting into blockchain like right now. I, I, I started doing it like a six months ago, probably a bit a bit earlier. Um, why did I do that? Well, it was probably I was kind of forced to, in the sense that um, if you if you open whatever like website today or whatever like um, journals or anything basically whatever whatever you read it might be medium or it might be like a podcast that you listen to Mm -hmm. everyone is speaking about these two big things right so ai and blockchain Mm -hmm. and i was comfortable enough to understand what people were saying in ai right but at the same time i didn't really know whether what they were saying in blockchain was completely true or not and of course there was all uh, you know, all the crypto frenzy of uh, <laughs> Bitcoin skyrocket and, and all the kind of things. Yeah. So honestly, I simply wanted to understand more. And if you if you had a look at my, at my blog post in the past, you know that usually, especially in the last year or so, I'm not blogging that much in terms of frequency, but I usually take more time to explore specific topics. And now AI integrates or relates to specific technologies or industry. So I just took a few months off and I like digging into blockchain and AI and I found very, I would say very interesting things, especially from the fact that there are a ton of people talking about things, but I'm not, I'm not even sure that everyone is really understanding what is going on there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not claiming that I am, which is probably the most important thing. Um, but, um, I, I, I do have the sense and the feeling that there is something going on and there is something that will happen in the next five years, especially when it comes to integrating those two technologies. Mm-hmm. And whatever it will come out, which it's not clear what it's going to look like, but whatever it will come out is going to be extremely powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally agree with you. And uh, so if you don't mind, like what I wanted to do now is to go through uh, the main points that you highlight in your article and I'll just announce them and then if you are uh, if you would like you can give some comments on those does that sound good sounds perfect okay um so we'll skip the part where you introduce blockchain and we'll leave it up to our listeners to read that on their own so we'll st- start away i liked how you like I, when i was reading it i was expecting kind of like some uh, intertwining um, solution be- between ai and blockchain but what i liked is that you outlined in uh, separate parts, 
specific bullet points, and our readers will understand, listeners will understand exactly what this uh, what this implies just in a second. So the first part or paragraph two in your article is how AI can change blockchain, and then paragraph three is how blockchain can change AI. And I like that approach that they there is a symbiosis between them. So let's start with paragraph two: how AI can change blockchain. The first, um, uh, the first component that you mentioned was energy consumption. And so mining is an incredibly um, um, energy-consuming task. So what would your comments be about how AI can improve that, that side of blockchain? Um, well, that's actually uh, something that I will probably write a bit more on that in the future, especially because I'm trying to focus on um, energy right now. So mm-hmm. that's that that's a very really, like relevant topic. But basically, the idea behind this point, this this bullet point, is we we all know that mining uh, whatever cryptocurrencies you want to mine, it takes time, money, and especially it takes money that um, accrues on your uh, energy bills mm-hmm. and uh, well there are lots of reasons for that I'm not, I, I, I don't want to get too much into details now but basically the idea is that AI has been already proven to be used in a very efficient way in different contexts especially by for instance the mind right mm-hmm. um, in, in optimizing energy consumption so the the main the main objection the main reflection there was there might be a way for using AI in order to optimize as well the mining consumption or at least the energy consumption for mining. Mm-hmm. And if you, well, the the way in which you can do that, it might be either optimizing the algorithm behind it or it might also be optimizing the hardware. Yeah. And that's another interesting thing. Well, I will probably mention it about this later, but um, something that is happening is that there are a lot of, well, not a lot of, but a few uh, big one, um, a few a few big corp, um, companies in in mining that are basically converting their own hardware into AI hardware. Mm-hmm. So anything that was used before to do like to to mine cryptocurrencies is now used for AI, mm. which is a very interesting shift. Interesting in that way, especially because even in hardware, it's not it's not clear which approach will pay off in the future. Whether it's going to be like GPUs or ASIC or FPGA or whatever it is, right? But yeah. there are people that are starting like using the same thing, so the same type of hardware for uh, different purposes. And the first one was mining, and eventually mm-hmm. it becomes AI. So that's something that I guess um, might might allow you to to reach a new degree of optimize consumption. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Very, very, uh, very interesting point. Um, the next one I would like to skip to is security. That uh, You mentioned that um, blockchain, while it's impossible to hack, uh, further layers of applications on top of blockchain, and a great example which you give is the DAO, and the attack on the DAO, which uh, happened, I think it was uh, 2016, June, like mid-2016, May-June, um, yeah, I think a couple of years ago. Yeah, like 150 million were stolen were for Ethereum from the DAO, the first decentralized autonomous organization uh, created by Vitalik Buterin. So you're right, there is a lot of, even though it's impossible to hack, there are security issues. So how do you think AI will help blockchain become more secure? Um, this is actually something that would intersect with the cybersecurity field, right? And the reality is that, well, it's a bit cybersecurity, it's a bit network theory, but the, the basic idea behind it is 
let's assume that you have like you have your own house which is not really protected and um anyone like a, a theft or anyone that wants to try to get in mm-hmm. will just need to start it enough and find a way to crack in mm-hmm. which is which might be hard right because i mean your house is already like you have a huge wall or whatever it is and they they just need to find the right tool and the right time to eventually get in, which mm-hmm. is what happened with DAO, which is what happened with Antigox or Bphoenix or basically any type of hacking in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you look, however, at what is happening in cybersecurity and machine learning, you might notice that uh, AI counter-defensive measures are often more effective than humans ones. Mm-hmm. So the idea behind it is, let's assume that you, can, that, that you can create a sort of AI sentinel or um, a group of AI agents that just go around and check that everything is safe and perfectly functioning at all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that would be like a great ally, as I was saying. And at the same time, if something happened, they will have more, uh, more speed to react and probably mm-hmm. they, they could they could adapt in in a, in a way that the same type of attack won't happen a second time. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And uh, AI naturally would be better at that because of the learning capabilities inherent to artificial intelligence. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, the final one from this part, uh, just for the purpose of our listener uh, listeners, there's actually quite a few more. I think there's like five, no, seven or ten of them here. But we'll skip straight to data gates. I found this one quite interesting. Uh, you are ad- advise- advising that in the future, uh, artificial intelligence, and correct me if my understanding is, in, is wrong here, that artificial intelligence will help humans um, decide or help yeah, help humans decide who gets access to their data on the blockchain. So basically, in the future, for instance, one of the applications of blockchain is healthcare and and data will be stored in decentralized locations uh, somewhere on the on maybe even in one centralized location in one healthcare facility but the keys to access to to this data and the pointers to this data will be on a uh, decentralized healthcare blockchain which uh, every patient for instance or every citizen let's say in the US will have uh, their own private access to and then they can provide any healthcare professional with a public key or private key to their data and they'll be able to that way view it. So basically that will make it very easy to move around between hospitals and not have to request your data and wait for months. The point I think that you're making here is that artificial intelligence will help make those decisions, help humans make those decisions, who should get access and who shouldn't get access to the data and um, kind of like be a um, data data governance body on top of the data that we store on blockchains. Is that about right? Could you elaborate on that a little bit, please? Yeah, you're right. Actually, uh, you're right. I would just need to add something else uh, that requires a bit of a leap of faith, let's put it in that way. Mm-hmm. Because the what I, what I was thinking when I was writing that specific bullet point was uh, very close to what you just said, but also slightly different. So I was, I was simply thinking, uh, let's assume a future where we are well we know we know that like these days especially everyone is talking about like data privacy and how much uh, our personal data are worth and you know should we sell or should we be paid for our data mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and all these 
type of questions, right? But there are already companies that are trying to do that like for years. Like there are a few companies that are trying to gather personal data about individual and sell, or at least empower the individual to sell his own data to companies out there. So let's assume that actually that's become the norm, that's become the standards. And eventually, like in five years or in 10 years, we will be able to, well, everyone will have full access to every data that he produces, right? Mm -hmm. And he could decide what to do with those data. And eventually, you, of course, want to keep giving your data to you know, Amazon or Facebook or Google just to improve the services that they offer you. At yeah. the same time, there might be something else that you want to sell your data to, yeah. or there might be someone else, as you were saying, the healthcare professionals that you want to give your data simply to know whether you are good or not, yeah. uh, whether you are healthy or not. Um, try to stop for one second and think about your day if you need to give your personal key or your private key or an authorization or something to anyone that won't access your data in a single 24 hours, that will be completely overwhelming. That will be like, that will be <laughs> overblowing your day, basically. Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't stand like in front of a laptop all day just to say yes or no to people or to organizations that want to access your data. So the point that I was trying to make there is if, you, if we are able to set an AI in a correct way, uh, well, it, it doesn't really have the general capabilities to do that like all the time. It might be like a different groups of different AI agents, but the idea behind it is, let's assume that there is one AI that can manage all this for you mm -hmm. and that already knows that is uh, an advertising company is asking for your data, the answer that that would be no, or if you've been to the doctor the day before because that was on your calendar, and then the same doctor asks you for personal data, then, well, the answer might be yes, I want to share my data. Mm -hmm. Or at the same time, if you're not using Facebook for six months, you might assume that you're not like an active Facebook user, and if, if Facebook asks for your data to improve the services, you might want to say no. Yeah. So the, uh, the idea behind this data gate as, as we call it here, is simply something that, like an agent that can help you managing all the incoming requests for your data and eventually get back some money if needed. So um, there, might, there might also be the chance that you might, that you might get paid for your data eventually. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, thank you for expanding on that. It makes total sense. Um, very, very interesting application as well. Okay. So let's uh, jump over to how blockchain can uh, change AI. Uh, and the first point you make is, I found this one very insightful, and I, I like this idea as well. Uh, it's called, the title here is, Help Artificial Intelligence in Explaining Itself, uh, in brackets, Making Us Believe It. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? What did you mean there? One of the major problems that AI has today, and I think that we all know about it, whether we want to admit it or not, is that it's still like a black box, right? So there are things that it does that we're not, we're not even sure how they're made. And sometimes this is pretty fine. I mean, I, I don't honestly care about knowing the why of every single thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, there are, there are specific processes or specific applications where I want to know why the algorithm reached a specific decision. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I mean, examples are like healthcare rated decisions or credit scoring. We all know this story, right? Mm -hmm. But basically, the idea is that 
um, if we are able to track every single step that an AI does on the blockchain, so in such a way that cannot be modified by anyone, mm-hmm. um, that would be incredibly useful if we want to try to trace it backward and understand if something goes wrong, for instance, why did it wrong? Why did it go wrong? Or what simply happened at a specific point in time? So you can actually have a clear audit trail that can give you um, a full history of the process from one end. And at the same time, and this is actually the second point I was doing there, and which was making us believe it, uh, we, we, we still have today a strong aversion towards algorithm and toward AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is actually a real phenomenon that is called algorithmic adversion. You you can you can look for that. It's a real problem that people are experiencing. People don't trust mm-hmm. uh, machines. That's that's the reality. I mean, not all of us, but uh, there is some of us that doesn't really trust machines. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is, what if you can actually see everything behind the curtain, behind the scene, or what if if something goes wrong or even if something goes good, like goes perfectly as you as you were expecting, you can go backward and actually look what happened in detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my sense is that this might improve drastically the trustworthiness that we have towards data models and AI overall. Um, so that's that's the point. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and uh, speaking of trust, you make another valuable point here that uh, this. Uh, blockchain will help increase artificial trust, meaning the trust between two different bots. Like if uh, if an artificial intelligence is interacting with another artificial intelligence on our behalf, because they both have blockchain uh, supporting them or, or tracing, like creating an audit trace of everything they're doing, it means there's more transparency and therefore um, there is more trust between the artificial intelligence <laughs> intelligence applications themselves. And I found that. Um, that's a, a quite a philosophical one to think about for our listeners. Yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a bit philosophical, a bit like uh, well, CFE in some sense, in the sense that uh, the, the idea about increasing artificial trust is uh, still like a leap, a leap of faith, a jump in the future where we live in a world where we don't really need to do like many things that we are doing today. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, like buying groceries or cleaning the house or paying the bills or, you know, all these like menial tasks that every is doing. Well, every single person on, on earth is forced to do today. But the reality is that think if your Alexa or your Google home might, might be in charge of, of the entire house and they can actually take care of everything. Right. So yep. ordering groceries from Amazon, um, eventually, I'm not even sure that uh, on the Amazon side, there would be someone on, on the other line taking the order, but it would be like a different machine, a different bot. Mm-hmm. And in Amazon factories, there would be another bot that can actually go to the shelf, take what you need, put them in the box and send them out. Mm-hmm. So the reality is that there might be like an entire supply chain, which is simply like a bot to bot to mm-hmm. bot mm-hmm. or a machine to machine to machine interaction, yeah. which is something that, as I, as I was saying in the, in the article, um, the guys from Alliance Ventures, uh, I think 
they were one, one of the first ones to try to think in terms of machine-to-machine interaction. And uh, they were, by the way, the guys that uh, they created the, the, the word convergence for AI and blockchain in the first place. Mm. I would actually recommend to, uh, to read their, um, their initial report. Mm-hmm. I think that there is in the article, there is also the reference some, uh, somewhere at the, at the end. But um, basically, the idea behind this increasing in artificial trust is if I, if I would be a bot and yeah. I would need to trust another bot, I would still need to ask him, uh, just give me some way to identify yourself or just give me some way so that I'm, I'm sure that you're ordering groceries for Kirill or for Francesco or for anyone else. And uh, that's, um, that's an interesting problem that we're not experiencing today because we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I'm simply feeling and guessing that eventually they might easily be solved by blockchain. Mm-hmm. Because if, uh, if another bot can just go and check that in the last like 20 days, the same bot uh, they that grocery order like kind of 15 times, they might be like pretty much um, safe and reliable. Mm-hmm. Yep, gotcha. Totally understand. And yeah, it was interesting to listen to uh, mention the whole bot to bot to bot to bot transactions. I just hope that in the future, somewhere there, there'll still be a human, you know, at the, the one of the ends at least. Otherwise, yeah, uh, everyone hopes so. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, well, um, I know you have to go soon. So, in the interest of time, uh, I'd like to ask you just to kind of like summarize all of this timelines. Like, when do you think for for our listeners who are listening to this podcast and are probably also fascinated by this world of you know AI and blockchain and how how the potential that that is there what would your recommendation be when is it the right time to start learning about either of these technologies AI or blockchain or both um, is it maybe worth to wait a little bit to see what happens or is it is it already obvious that you need to like everybody who's interested in this should jump into it now uh, let's put it in that way there is uh, a very famous, I think, Chinese proverb or like way to say uh, that's, that sounds like the, the best time to, um, to start like planting a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. So yeah, nice. <laughs> if, you, if you ask me about when people should start like getting into this field, I would say like now immediately just uh, shut up this podcast, go, go out there and learn whatever you can learn. Um, whether everything will pay out, I'm not, I'm not sure, honestly, uh, yeah. especially when it comes, well, I, I don't know enough about blockchain or uh, specific blockchain protocols to tell you, well, this is something that for sure will be like uh, a leader in the next five years. But the reality is that especially when it comes to AI, Deep learning, for example, is something that is going like really overhyped and overrated because it's 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 really working. So I'm I'm very happy that it's working. Yep. But the reality is also that we don't really know when that's the approach that will pay in the future, right? So we might we might actually find out in two years that deep learning is working only because it's like a, a specific. Uh, well, a specification of a more general approach or maybe a more neuroscientific or neuroscience related approach might pay off better or 
you know, the field is in some sense so young uh, that it's incredibly hard to predict what is going to happen. So um, coming back to, to, to your question, try to start as soon as possible because the more you wait, uh, the harder it, um, it comes for you to, to learn this stuff. That's, that's the reality. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I can tell you that for experience because I can, I can actually tell you that I, that I saw the first deep learning paper that it was like five years ago in 2013. I was like still a PhD student and my advisor who was like an extremely brilliant guy told me, you should just try to have a look at this stuff because it sounds cool. And like for more than six months, uh, it, it was on my desk. I didn't even look at that because I was saying, okay, that's something that will fade away at some point. Uh, but eventually it didn't. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that my, that my life would be like drastically different, but I'm simply saying that we have all the means in the world. We have the resources. So we have actually no excuses to not start learning uh, everything about AI and blockchain. Um, whether you will use it in, in the future, not sure about it. Yep, gotcha. Love it. That's a wonderful summary. Thank you. And great inspiration uh, to all of our listeners to uh, look into these uh, topics, AI and blockchain, and start learning them now. Um, thank you very much, Francesco. Uh, just quickly, can you tell us where our listeners can find you, contact you, get in touch, follow your career so that uh, they, they know what, what next is coming up for you and maybe read some of your upcoming articles. Uh, definitely Medium. Uh, this is where I post uh, most of my thoughts, well, at least the structure one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also, of course, on Twitter and LinkedIn, but Twitter I'm not like a super active user in, in the sense that I tweet a lot, but I simply like tweet about articles and things I read. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't really express my thoughts on Twitter. I don't know. I don't know why. I'm not. I'm not really like uh, uh, Twitter friendly. Let's put it that way. LinkedIn for sure. So if someone wants to connect, just try to connect on LinkedIn. Uh, please send me a message before. Uh, well, when you when you try to connect, say why you want to connect. Yep. And um, well, LinkedIn is probably one one of the things that I use the most. So. Yep. Gotcha. All right. We'll, we'll definitely include all those links in the show notes. So uh, guys listening to this, you can find them there. Once again, Francesco, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Uh, and I look forward to hearing about what uh, comes up next in your life, what kind of projects you work on and what uh, articles you write. Thank you very much, Kirill. I really enjoyed to being in the podcast. So there you have it. That was Francesco Correa, complexity scientist, uh, talking about the convergence of blockchain and artificial intelligence. And of course, let's not forget the advice that Francesco uh, shared at the start about building a career in data science and broadening your horizons. It would be interesting to hear what your favorite part of the podcast was. For me personally, I really enjoyed everything as usual, but my favorite part was that conversation about fears in uh, data science and how um, you, we all have the opportunity to broaden our horizons, but sometimes fears prevent us from doing that. And it was refreshing to hear that uh, even a person like Francesco, who's worked on so many different projects, still experiences uh, that feeling um, occasionally, but he is able to overcome it. And that means that we can all uh, associate or relate to that, and we can also all overcome our fears and broaden our horizons and knowledge in data science, artificial intelligence, blockchain, 
whatever we're deciding to build our careers around. So there we go. And as usual, you can get all the links and two resources mentioned on this episode at www.superdatascience.com slash 155. There you will find all of the show notes for this episode, including the transcript and Francesco's social media URLs. Make sure to connect with Francesco, at least on LinkedIn, and I highly recommend following him on Medium as well so you can get updated with his recent articles and read the one we discussed today. Um, If you are building a career in data science or learning AI and blockchain, um, I'm sure it'll be interesting and exciting for you to uh, know what's happening in Francesco's world and what he's working on next. And at the same time, if you're an executive or a director or you have your own business and you might need some help in the space of AI or blockchain, then I highly encourage you to reach out to Francesco Connect. You never know when you will need a person like him on board or giving you some advice because at the end of the day, just a little advice, a little bit of a change in your data strategy can mean a huge, huge change down the track, whether it's a year away or five years away. And on that note, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, then we'd really appreciate a rating or review on iTunes because that would help us reach more people and spread the word about data science, AI, blockchain, and all these exciting technologies. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. And until then, happy analyzing.